I, I actually wasn't going to stand until you guys started clapping for that. So thank you, Mark, for doing that. And um, well, one of the things that that video reminded me of um, is the reality, A, of the importance of how we are cultivating uh, um, um, our church and cultivating the young people in our church to be able to know what it means to be shaped like Jesus, what it means to, um, um, to, to help reflect the kingdom of God, and, and the fact that we are always asking this question here. One of the things that we always have to be asking is, not just how are we doing right now, but how are we doing at looking into the future? What's it look like for the next generation? And so as I was thinking about that, I realized that one of the things I want to remind you of is that we have a property team, a master property team, and that we are continuing, we're working with architects right now who are, who are helping us. And one of the questions that we're asking is, how can we make sure not just that this is a good place for you who are here, but perhaps even more importantly, how is this place doing at helping to form relationships with Jesus and with others? How is this place, our building, helping us to be inviting for those who aren't here yet? Right? For either those who are young and who are going to be coming, for those who are older and aren't here yet, it doesn't matter. But just the question is, how are we doing at being making sure that we are prepared for those who aren't here yet? And so I just want to keep updating you to let you know that we are continuing to wrestle. It just takes a lot of time. We, uh, the property master, or the master property team, we, um, you know, we look at something and then we go bounce it off some folks and they say, okay, well, we like this, not this. And then we, we come back and we huddle and we work on it. Then we go to another group of folks and say, okay, we like this, but not this. And so we are continuing to work on that. So I just want you to know we're, we are continuing to be at work to try to understand how we can make sure um, that we are going to be a church and a building that is shaping us for the mission into the years ahead. And so we look forward at some point in the future, hopefully the not too distant future, to be able to come and be able to share more of that with you. But before all of that, of course, we still have this morning. And this morning we are in our sermon series on being shaped like Jesus. This morning we're going to talk about patience, which I have found to be quite funny this week uh, uh, because Megan, my wife, uh, is on a great banquet team and so she's been gone for most of the weekend, starting, uh, starting Thursday evening, not that I'm counting, but starting Thursday evening. And so it's been me and the four girls and patience. This, what, a, what an annoying topic for this kind of weekend. So, I feel like I am prepared, and yet wholly unprepared to talk about this this morning. We're going to look at two texts. We're going to look at a text in the Gospel of John. I just want to tell you a couple things just to remember. This is from John 21, and uh, Jesus has been resurrected. He's been showing up around town, and in this particular day, he shows up at the Sea of Galilee. The disciples are out there, and they're fishing, and when they come in, Jesus is on the beach, and he's sitting around a charcoal fire, and he's, he's prepared breakfast for them. And so they've had breakfast, and right after that, he kind of pulls Peter aside, and they begin to have a conversation. And this is how it goes, John 21, 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And a second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt 
Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. And he said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. And then from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire? But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let's pray. God, we come together this morning. We gather as sisters and brothers in Christ. Lord, we come from weeks that have for some been wonderful, for others been incredibly difficult. But we continue to gather because we trust, we know that you are here in our midst. So we pray, Lord, as we continue in this journey of faith, that you would speak to us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. All right, so we're continuing today in our look at what it means to be shaped like Jesus. Remember, what we're saying here is that we don't want to get so caught up in the what of what we're doing that we forget the why of what it is that we are doing, right? 2 Corinthians 3.18 has kind of been our framing passage, right? Our lives are becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. As crazy as it may sound, we believe that we are called to become more and more like Jesus. But of course, in order for that to happen, we have to understand a bit more about what Jesus looked like if we want to be shaped like him. And so, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about love. Last week we talked about holiness. And this week we're going to talk about patience, as I said earlier. As I've been thinking about this, I've had this Eugene Peterson quote from his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's kind of been rattling around in my mind. Here's this quote. It says, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient 
acquisition of virtue, of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. In other words, there are a lot of us, there's a lot of people who like the exciting experience of faith, but it is much more difficult. There are far fewer people who are willing to sign up for the patient slog, if you will, of looking more like Jesus. And so I think that patience is probably much more critical to our journey of faith and our life here than what most of us would even imagine. So, so, so let's think about patience. Well, first of all, of course, let's remember that God is patient, right? Throughout the scripture, we are reminded of the patience of God, right? We're told in the Old Testament that God, many times, that God is slow to anger. And what's great, of course, is that we not only are told that, but we see it, right? Because we see God and his patience with the Israelites, even though he will call out to them and they begin to follow him for a little bit. And then, of course, they meander off track and God forgives them. He doesn't give up hope. He brings them back in. He sends prophets to talk to them, right? And surely he gets upset at times. There's no question about that. But he continues to be patient. He continues to stay with them. And we we see that perhaps most beautifully displayed, of course, when when Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus is this sign of God to say, I will continue to be patient with you because I love you. And so so Jesus comes on the scene, and we see it in our text in 2 Peter, right, that that the Lord is patient with you, 2 Peter says, that we should regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. We see it, of course, as well in in, in 1 Timothy, where Paul tells Timothy that the Lord has had the utmost of patience for him. But, of course, again, we don't just hear. We we, we see the patience of Jesus again and again with the disciples. James and John, of course, Peter. Relentlessly, we see the patience of God. And I have a feeling that when it comes to the word patience, if I were to say to you, do you think God was patient? Oh, of course, of course, of course. Do you think that you should work on patience? You would say, yeah, because most of us think that we are pretty impatient, and you are. Right? And so, I mean, I've had so many conversations with church members, with family members, with friends, with myself looking in the mirror saying, I have to be more patient, right? And we have to be patient in lots of ways. We have to be more patient with our children for those who have children. Uh, We have to be more patient. Oftentimes, uh, adults, they have to be patient with their older parents, right? It takes a remarkable amount of patience at times in order to kind of, to, to continue to kind of be with older parents as they struggle in one way or the other. We have to be patient at times with, uh, with walking with, uh, with God. I mean, there are times when we want to know answers. We want to know them immediately, and we're waiting. Well, what are we supposed to do? God, speak to us. God, how come you aren't speaking? And we have to be patient in those moments. We have to be patient, of course, when we're driving, right? When you're, when you're going around, when you're going to and fro, when you're going hither and thither. By the way, because I was mocked for saying hither and thither the very first time, I want you to know I'm going to use hither and thither for every sermon in this series, all right? Right? When you're driving to and fro, hither and thither, of course, you know, we have to be patient. We know that we need to be patient. The question for most of us is not, is God patient with us? The question for most of us is not, should we become more patient? The real question is, how? How do we cultivate patience? 
And I use that word cultivate very intentionally. Because just like having to wait and to watch some plant or some tree begin to grow and you have to cultivate that to happen, so too, ironically enough, as someone has said, you have to have a remarkable amount of patience in order to become more patient. So how do we cultivate patience? Well, one of the things, of course, that we see in this text, one of the interesting things is that more often than not, in order to become a more patient people, you have to be someone who understands just how patient others, including the Lord, have been with you. Right? I've said this before about things like grace. If you want to see someone who, who tends to have a lot of grace for others, those are usually the people who have received a lot of grace. And when you encounter somebody who doesn't seem to have much grace, there's a good chance that he or she does not understand just how much grace they have received. Right? Well, I think it's the same with patience. We look at Second Peter. There's some debate among scholars as to who exactly wrote Second Peter. Was it Peter? Maybe it was one of Peter's disciples. Uh, back in the day, uh, in antiquity, they used to do that, and they'd still pen it as if it was Peter. It doesn't matter. What I find interesting is that 2 Peter is talking about the importance of patience. And if you think about, as I've already said, who has acquired probably more patience from the Lord than almost anyone else in the New Testament, it would be, it would be Peter, right? I mean, think about this scene in the Gospel of John. There they are. There's a charcoal fire. And if you're Peter, right, I preached on this about, I don't know, four years ago now. When I'm, I'm sure you remember, right? When, when, whenever it comes to this, right, there's a charcoal fire. And the last time that we're told about a charcoal fire and Peter sitting around a charcoal fire is on the night that Jesus was arrested, right? And when Peter denied Jesus. And how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times, right? You know this already. And how many times did Jesus ask the exact same question? Three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter and Jesus, they are in this conversation where they are kind of not saying what they know they're really saying, right? And there's a sense that that Jesus is both saying, I know what you did. But Jesus is not just kind of stewing in that. Instead, each time he's saying, okay, then feed my sheep. All right, feed my lambs. All right, now you need to follow me. Get back on track again. And there's this sense, right, that Peter has experienced this patience. And so what he wants himself and other disciples and us to know is that then we also need to be patient, right? First Timothy. First Timothy. I brought that up just a moment ago. First Timothy written by Paul. And Paul says to Timothy, look, the Lord has been remarkably patient, right? And of course, what has Paul received a ton of? of from the Lord? Patience, right? This was the guy who was going around and he was killing Christians and he was trying to destroy the body of Christ. And all of a sudden, the Lord came down. The Lord forgave him. The Lord showed a remarkable amount of patience for Paul. And Paul understands that. And now he is writing to others saying, you have to become more patient. You must do this. These two guys who have received all of this patience have now been shaped by it and say, this is critical to who we are are. So a first step, perhaps, in our becoming more patient is for us to experience and understand just how patient the Lord has been with us. Now, I think that that's something that's easy to say and is actually much more difficult to actually believe. In my conversations with others and with myself, what I know is, is that oftentimes we struggle with genuinely believing that the Lord is patient with us. 
in some ways, it seems to me that we have less patience with ourselves than Jesus has with us. Right? It's really kind of strange if you think about it. You would think that we would just remember these stories of Peter who denied Jesus three times when Jesus was most in need and, P- and Jesus still has patience to Peter. And then you have Paul right, who was killing Christians. How many of us have killed Christians lately? Whew. Right? And yet, Jesus continued to have patience with him. But how many of us, when we struggle, right, we think, oh, man, we've got to, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to get by this? I mean, this is just not good. There's no way that the Lord is going to continue to be patient with me if I keep messing things up. What, you know, and, and, and yet, there are these great examples in the New Testament of people who have done atrocious things, and yet Jesus continues to be patient with them. He continues when they confess He continues to be faithful to them. He continues to be patient to them. And yet we spend an exorbitant amount of time, it seems to me, being distracted with thinking that there's no way that the Lord will continue to be patient with us. Now, one of the things that I love about this passage is what happens at the very end. So there they are. Jesus says all these things. There's this sense of the sign. Hey, I'm going to be patient with you, Peter. And at the very end, he says these two words to Peter. They are almost the very last words that Jesus ever says to Peter. And those two words are what? Follow me. Now, do you remember what the very first two words that Jesus said to Peter were? Follow me. See, I love that. Because what Jesus is doing as a sign of saying that, Jesus is saying, remember what I told you from the very beginning? And now I realize we've had ups and downs. I realize you've messed up a ton of times. I realize all these things. But here's what I want you to do. Get back on the horse and follow me. Stop being so distracted. Think Peter. Peter, if he was like us, Peter would be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I denied him. And Jesus would say, I forgive you. Oh no, don't forgive me. I can't believe it. How could you ever forgive me? I mean, I mean, literally, I said I didn't know you when you were about to be killed. How could I have done this? And we would sit there and we would stew in this and then we'd say, well, just forget it. We can't follow Jesus. There's no way he has patience. And Jesus says, well, there's no kids. Will you shut up? Follow me. Just get back. You're wasting all of this energy and all of this time. Just follow me. And perhaps if we would begin to do that, if we would spend less time wondering if God had forgiven us, yes, confess by all means, but then move forward. And know that the Lord has forgiven you. Know that the Lord is patient. If he is going to forgive and be patient, somebody who killed his followers, he is surely going to be patient with you. And so one of the things that we have to do is not just say, yes, we know the Lord is patient with us, but to genuinely begin to believe that. Well, there's something else that I think in this particular passage in John that is, that is really striking. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. I'm not sure that I ever have, but I, I, I found it to be really intriguing. So, so we have Jesus, right? And what, what's, what's Jesus doing, right? Jesus is there. He's kind of has this little charcoal fire. He's, he's cooked up the fish. You know, he's having a meal. But do you remember that this is not just Jesus. This is the resurrected Jesus. 
right? This was a Jesus who hung on the cross. This is a Jesus who died. This is a Jesus who was raised from the dead. Okay, I know that becomes very easy for us just to say, but he was raised from the dead, right? Which means you can do pretty much anything you want to. Right? What would you have done? Right? If you had lived through all of that, you know, maybe you'd go to Pilate and you'd be like, you can't wash your hands of this, can you? Right? Maybe you would have gone to one of the Pharisees and, you know, and you'd be like, you know, I'm back. You know? I mean, you could have gone to some, one of the other people who had, who had kind of put him up on the cross and be like, hey, resurrected lately, look at this guy, right? All those things, right? I mean, that's what I would have done. He, right, what, what his disciples wanted him to do was to take over the whole empire, which he could have done. If you've been raised from the dead, you can pretty much do whatever you want to do. He could have done any of those things, right? Do you understand? This is this, this big thing, right? We've become far too comfortable with it. This amazing thing of being raised from the dead. And what is Jesus doing? He's sitting over here and he's like, right? He's at the grill. If you're wondering what this is, this is turning fish, okay? Around a charcoal fire. And he's sitting down, right? He's just, he's just sitting here and he's just kind of he's just, he's just cutting up. He's just talking to his disciples. This is the resurrected Savior. And he's just like, huh, pretty good, am I right? Pretty good. Yeah, right? And this is what he's doing, does that strike anybody? Uh, one of the things that is always fun to me uh, when it comes to series that we do is there's usually always one or two themes that I wasn't expecting that kind of just pops up. Right? So, so one of those themes is, is, is this. As we talked about love, um, remember what we said, John 3, 16, 17. Boom, earth-shattering, world-changing love. This is what happened with Jesus. And, and, and then we said, oh, we look at Jesus and he's like, you know, just noticing people who who other people didn't notice. He's just kind of, you know, eating with others, right? This is what Jesus knows is that actually world-changing, earth-shattering love that we can get kind of like, whoa, this is big, just kind of happens when you begin to do these small things. Or we talked about holiness. Holiness, right? This massive thing, completely set apart. Holiness, you think angels, you think bright, you think, wow, holy, everyone dressed in white. This is incredible. But, 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 but yet, as we talked about holiness, there's like, like spoons and plates, as we see in Leviticus, that were, that, that were set apart for being holy. It's, it's Jesus meeting some woman at some well, just getting water right and, and 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 just drinking water and all of a sudden that becomes a holy encounter that becomes a holy moment what, what we begin to see is that when you're shaped like Jesus you get less caught up on the big and the fancy and what you begin to see is that Jesus himself was usually doing pretty small things not always but more often than not doing these small things with real people and then we have patience and I think that patience actually fits exactly into this. You see, here's what we love. We love getting caught up. I mean, in our culture, in our environment, it is about the big. It is about the glamorous. It is about the exciting, right? And this is what we're told, right? We're continually told, come on, you've got to dream big. You've got to live your best life now. You have to give your children or your grandchildren a thousand different options because the world is their oyster. You can do anything that you want. I mean anything. Don't you dare let anybody tell you you can't do that. If you dream it, you can do it. And we think, yes, but here's the problem. In order to do this, you have to be in a constant 
hurry. In order to do this, you have to continually be busy. In order to do this, we feel it internally. We feel it externally. You have to go, 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 go. Because we know there's no way we can ever attain this big, amazing thing that I know is exactly what I've been called to do. I'm called to be this amazing thing over here. The only way to do that is to run, 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 run. It is the only way for us to be able to get to this remarkable place. And here's what I want you to know, that as we are running, as we are driving, as we're saying things like, oh man, we are just in such a hurry. And as we're running around and we're going back and forth and we're doing all these things and we hardly have time to think, we're doing all those things, guess what? Jesus is in the corner. And we think to ourselves, well, who is that guy? What's he doing over there? I mean, there's stuff to be done. And someone's like, oh, it's just Jesus, Lord of the universe, master of everything. But don't worry about him. You're really important and you have big things to do. We're running. Does no one see the humor in this? We're running around like a cat with our tails cut off because we have really important things to do. And Jesus is over here making fish breakfast disgusting, making fish breakfast for his disciples and making sure that everyone is reconciled and that we are all good. What does it say about what we think of ourselves. If we feel like we need to be busier than the Lord Almighty. Should that not make us wonder where our priorities are? That Jesus himself, while yes, he has big plans... What he ended up doing was spending so much time either doing these small things with others around the table or going off on his own in order to remember and to be with God, his Father. Now look, I get it. I get the joy of being in a hurry. I really do. We love being in a hurry. You know, one of the things I really like is I like on Sunday mornings when I'm just kind of standing out there. I love it when people come up and they say to me, hey, how you doing? Hey, man, you probably had a pretty busy week. And I love saying, yep, working like a dog. <laughs> Woo, crazy week. I tell you what, man, it's just relentless. I love that. I'm not going to lie to you. It makes me feel important. It makes me feel like I'm actually doing something with my life. Right? Like, like yeah, I'm working towards that big dream. I mean, and, and what I, you know what I hate? I hate it when I'm standing out there. And let's just say I've had a particularly slow week. And people say, hey, how you doing, man? You had a busy week? It is so hard for me to be honest and be like, nah. Been pretty chilled, actually. Because you know what? If I keep saying that to people, they're going to be like, why are we paying this guy? I get it. 
We like the sense of being in a hurry. We like the sense that we are busy. Now, I'm not suggesting that slothfulness is the answer. That is no value. We were created to work. There were times when Jesus was busy. There is no question about that. But what I also know, what I also know is that Jesus was continually taking time. See, we like to be in a hurry. I hear it. I hear it at times from people who are stay-at-home moms or dads. That they are fearful that people will think that they aren't important. And and so what they do is they oftentimes fill it with doing 5,000 things. Hey, no, what we're doing is really important over here. We're in a hurry. I hear it from people who are working at the church oftentimes. I hear it about people who are kind of going around, oh, no, we're in a hurry. I hear it from retirees. Woo, I'm more busy now than I was when I was working, right? And you know, in one sense, it's like, whoo, but in another sense, it's like, yeah, I'm still important. I get that. You hear it from parents. Holy cow. Parents, right, I mean, and I, and I get this, right, who, 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 who are so scared that our children are going to be left behind. It is a lot of pressure, right? I mean, I am only saying this slightly tongue-in-cheek when I say I am at times concerned that child protection services is going to be called by somebody because we are only allowing our children to do one extracurricular thing at a time. And you know what? Don't tell anybody this. But there are times when they come home and we have absolutely nothing else to do that night. Now listen, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't have our children do things. Not at all. Right? Our girls are doing things. Uh, uh, Shaughnessy's in Spell Bowl. Adelie's going to be trying out tennis for the first time later this month. Winnie, in all of her downtime, she's figuring out how she's going to rule the world. I mean, these are important things. I'm not suggesting that at all. But what I do want you to know is that patience will never be cultivated in a petri dish of hurry. Patience will never be cultivated in the petri dish of hurry. And we cannot be running from one thing to the next and then be surprised that we are not finding it easier to become a patient people. Now let me tell you why I think this is important. Because I think what Jesus understood and what we far too often do not is that patience is absolutely core to being in relationship with others. It is absolutely core. Jesus gave us two commands, love God and love neighbor. And I am here to say that if you are impatient all of the time, then you cannot cultivate healthy relationships. And Jesus says this is the priority. The fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about, what are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of those things are relational things. 1 Corinthians 13 that we did a few weeks back. Love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It's not self-seeking and on and on. All those things are about relationship. What the scriptures knew, what Jesus knew, is that there is no way for us to be in relationship with God as we should be and in relationship with our neighbor as we should be, our brothers and sisters in Christ, whomever it may be. There is no way to do this if we are an impatient people. And there is no way to cultivate patience if we are constantly in a hurry doing 
one thing, going from one thing to the next. Here is why it matters. If you want to be good in relationship, you cannot do it if you are always in a hurry. I'm sorry to break it to you. You are hurting your relationship and your ability to be in relationship if you have no time to cultivate patience. And we can laugh it off if we want to, and we can say, oh, it's just what we do. We can say, oh, it's just that time of life. Or we can begin to take it seriously and ask, what do we need to do if relationships are so important to Jesus and then they are to us? What do we actually need to do to begin to cultivate that? I think we laugh it off, myself included, far too often. As many of you know, we're doing this project, I and there's about 20 or 30 of us, I guess, that are doing this project for my, uh, uh, for my doctorate. It's been, uh, it's been very interesting. What we're doing, it's two months. I'll just tell you about it quickly. And uh, uh, We're asking folks to, 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 to be out in their yard for two hours a week uh, and to simply make themselves available, not really do anything, just kind of be there. And to see what happens, right? One of the things I keep wanting to say is if we want to love our neighbors, if we believe that this is important, and it should be important, right? Because who is it that said something about loving our neighbors? Not Jerry. Jesus, right? Yeah. Right? Then, then we have to actually be available for them, right? Because it won't just happen. They're not going to come knocking on the, your door, right? So, so what happens, right? It's, it's been very interesting. Well, we just had a meeting about this. We're about halfway through, a little over halfway through, and so, so it's kind of fun to think about that. But, but now here's one of the things. This is what happens when you do experiments. You do it on one way, and then oftentimes you begin to learn other things. Well, one of the big things, actually, I would say the biggest thing that we have learned so far is, man, it is really hard to set aside two hours a week. Now, it's weird because it's like 20 minutes a day, six days a week. You could still have the Sabbath, 20 minutes a day. But our folks are wrestling with doing that. Now, let me be honest. I couldn't actually be a part of the experiment because I'm the, you know, the researcher, if you will. But I quietly said to myself, okay, I'm going to do it alongside of them and see what happens. Whew, crazy weeks. Right? I understand. I've struggled with trying to find the time to do it as well. Right? And it's incredibly difficult. But now here's also what our folks are discovering is that when they go out there, and I don't think that any of them are doing it. Uh, let's see, how do I say this? Well, I think many of them are doing it out of love for me, which I appreciate. I don't know how many of them are bounding out being like, I'm here, right? Two hours, I love it, right? No, but they're doing it and I'm fully appreciative of it, right? But they're out there, what are they discovering, right? Well, they're discovering different things, right? A, once they get out there, for many of them then, they said, well, you know, once we get out there, we, we thought, well, let's go out there for a certain amount of time, but, but we kind of like it, so we stay a little bit longer. And others are saying, well, you know, I decided, well, I kind of have time to pray now, right? That they may not have had time before. I mean, I got nothing else to do. I might as well pray. So it begins to create time with God, right? Others, uh, others are saying, you know what? It's, it's amazing. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but, but, but you, we, we can really focus on our neighbors when we have nothing else that we're doing and we're just kind of sitting out there, right? And so so we're, we're, we're seeing these things. But of course, the other thing that they're observing is that people are busy, Right? Because people are driving by. There's not that many people walking. A lot of times when people are driving by, they're on their phones. 
Uh, that when people are going, they'll try to be like, people will be sitting down and be like, hey, and they just kind of keep walking, right? Because they're, they, they're clearly on a mission. They've got something to do. Maybe they have headphones on, but they're, 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 they're not wanting to be talked to by and large. Some people are even, as they begin to walk around, they go to the other side of the street and then walk across. One of the other things, this is what I really like this one, which is that, which is that both our participants and their, their kind of senses from the neighbors is that when, when you walk by, and you can kind of picture this, and if somebody is just sitting there and they're not doing anything, it is creeping people out. <laughs> right? They're like, what is wrong with that guy? Right? I mean, we have gotten to the place that if you're not like on your phone or doing something, that there is actually something wrong with you. This is how strange it is to walk by somebody who, who does not seem to be in a hurry. This is how odd it is to be somebody who says, hey, I'm here ready to be in relationship. It creeps people out. But it's hard work, as our folks are discovering, to actually slow down. It's hard work for all of us. Here's what I want you to remember, sisters and brothers. If we want to be a people who are shaped like Jesus, and if we want to do more than just give it lip service, then we have to be intentional about carving out space to cultivate patience. And that will mean inevitably that we have to decide to say no to some things. And that we have to decide to say yes to making ourselves available quieting down our pace. And when we do, I feel fairly convinced that if we slow down enough, we might, rather than running right past him, we might actually see Jesus over there, the charcoal charcoal fire. And we may actually be invited to be a part of that conversation and to grow not just in our relationship with others, but on our relationship with the Almighty. May it be so. Amen.